Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on Donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. Twice in the space of 70 years, a movement claiming that the second coming of Christ had happened on Earth, and that was also deeply concerned with rewriting the sexual habits of its believers, arrived in western New York State. Mother Ann Lee, who brought the Shakers to America in the 1780s, led a movement committed to absolute celibacy in Albany County. John Humphrey Noyes, leader of the Perfectionists, taught a form of sexual sharing and established his community at Oneida, New York in the early 1850s. Between these two movements, Western New York thrived as America's incubator for new religious movements. The Mormons, Millerites, and Spiritualists all got their start in what came to be called the Burned Over District. But the strange correlations and even stranger contradictions between Mother Anne Lee and John Humphrey Noyes regarding the return of the Christ and the perfected world he established here on Earth make their movements unique among the various revivals, awakenings, and paranormal happenings that occupied the vast fields and forests bifurcated by the Great Erie Canal. We are going to try and make sense of how they could have both wound up in the same region less than a two-hour drive from each other. My name is Rob C. Thompson. I am the Supreme Hierophant of our Sacred Order of Alchemical Actors. I'm joined, as always, by our Grand Master, Olivia Literal. Hello. What do you think about all this uh, sex and the second coming? What do you think about that episode title, Olivia? Huh? Um, I know that you are very proud, and you won't stop talking about how much you love that episode title. Like I don't have other topics of conversation. Like I come in in the, in the in the beginning of the day, and I'm like, hey, Olivia, uh, what's up? Do you want breakfast? Also, uh, isn't that a great title? Do you normally come to me and offer me breakfast? Yeah, I'm frequently at your house cooking for you, aren't I? <laughs> Rob doesn't offer me breakfast. Well, I can't, I'm always at Olivia's house. when I'm. He's it's always a, cooking breakfast at my house. Yeah, so. when I feel she's adequately fed, I'll move on to your house. Saying, it it could nice. take a, a hot second. It'd be nice to be offered breakfast sometimes, Rob. Uh, Shannon Landers, our Instaquisitor, back in the saddle. Hello. Yeah, and looking for breakfast. <laughs> back and looking for breakfast. <laughs> I, I heard there was breakfast, so I came back. It's like 8 o'clock at night. <laughs> and I just fed you. Always a good time for breakfast. <laughs> and Savannah Verrett, sister of the 84th degree and mechanical bird enthusiast. Yes. Also, well, I was going to say real bird enthusiast, but they're not real, so I can't oh. say that. Never right. mind. Yeah, so I've redacted. Just birds generally. Don't ruin your own what? <laughs> your own canon. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I thought you were going to say my own brand. <laughs> like that. Own Same own thing. Brand. Did we ever discuss what kind of birds? Like, is it just all kind of, like flamingos? Well, as... Penguins? Like, with my research, I've discovered that pigeons are really the best spies because pigeons are everywhere. Yeah, and they're actually making a movie. Spies. They're making a movie about it, and it has Will Smith starring as the pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> Is this for real? I swear on my life. <laughs> uh, Will Smith is allegedly, maybe not maybe, a part of Scientology now, so maybe there's some connections there. Oh Today on Occult <laughs> Confessions, shaking celibates and silverware forging polygamists. <laughs> 
we the members oh, no. of the secret order of alchemical actors do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. You can't segue into it like that. <laughs> but I can, because okay. I did. Right. Time for the three plugs. Olivia. Plug. 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 All right, let's start with our uh, patrons, uh, some of our favorite people on Earth. Uh, we've got uh, four new folks joining us over on the Patreon. We've got Ooh. Andrew M., who is a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, cool. Oh, hell yeah. Hello. Yeah, why not? Classic early 2000s. What was that channel? I would die for that leather jacket. Nickelodeon, I think, No, actually. it wasn't Nickelodeon. They were having well, they sex. they on Nick at Night. vampire sex. <laughs> yeah, Nick at Night, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was like the CW or something like that. (laughs) Or the WB. Maybe? Oh, I don't know. Monique A. Also, Laura D., big fan of colonial American uh, occultism. Ooh, hello. That's specific. Right, because, you know, today is the day. We're going to be talking about a colonial American quasi-occultist, Mother Ann Lee. This one's for you. This one's for you. And Basilio L. Welcome, Basilio. Basilio? Like in the play? I don't know. I I have no who. Basilio. Are you talking about Bosalo from the Duchess of Malfi, which I just had to read twice this week? Our sources today include Shakerism, colon, its meaning and messages by Anna White and Leela S. Taylor of the Northern Family of Shakers in New Lebanon, New York. Also, two years experience among the Shakers by David R. Lampson, not a Shaker, hashtag not a shaker. Whitney Cross's The Burned Over District and Ernest R. Sandine's John Humphrey Noyes as the New Adam in Church History. That's a title. Classic, classic journal, <laughs> Church History. Uh, not a church. So um, let's get to it. Uh, I, I want you guys to, uh, oh, we got to plug one more thing, Olivia. What should we plug? Sorry, can't get to it. Plug a thing. Merch, merch. We got Merch. We have a Cult Confessions t-shirt over on the website, you guys. You've probably seen all of us wearing them if you follow us on Instagram. But you can join the Occult fam for 20 bucks with shipping. Yeah, a little bit of shipping. Yeah. Uh, so now here's the other thing. We posted our Devil's Music series in full on, uh, on the merch. If for some reason you don't want, I don't know, the government to find out that you support us on Patreon, you want to right. be secret... You can just buy the series, but you you know you want to hear the Devil's Music series. You just don't want to be a patron. You can buy that series now uh, on our website. Well, it is smart because the government's probably listening to us because I know about the birds. Well, this is a podcast, so we're not really hiding very well. <laughs> we we're want trying to people get it out to listen. To the people. <laughs> I, I, I would love the government to be listening. I send these episodes to the government after we finish. To Trump himself. Twice a week. It, it goes to spam. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> It's right to spam. All right, close us up, Olivia. Plug, plug, plug. Imagine with me. Okay, so this is our exercise to start today. We're going to imagine. imagine. We're going to imagine together. We're going to put, we're going to cast our minds back to the burned over district. You ready? This is you too, confessors out there in listening land. Imagine with me for a moment that we are living in New York City in the year 1830. I'm there. All right, you're not going to want to be there, though. An okay. outbreak of typhoid fever across the city has made you rethink urban life. I got to get out of here. Existence is precarious enough, after all. Your wife, Olivia, died in childbirth. Oh, my God, Elizabeth. And o- Elizabeth. <laughs> Elizabeth. You're God, and, Elizabeth. Oh. And only three of your five children lived to see their fifth birthday. Oh, I'm glad we had five, Elizabeth. Right. 
So, you made up your mind not to chance it with the nervous fever, Mm-mm. and you packed up the family to head west. Gotta get out of here. Namely, the farmland communities surrounding Rochester. In the 1800s, western New York was by no means settled. It may have not been Colorado or Arizona, but it was its own kind of wild west all the same. The area had been Indian territory as recently as 1789, purchased and sold to pay off debts from the revolution. But the Erie brought new opportunity to the region. I speak, of course, of the Erie Canal. Since they finished the canal in 1825, the population boomed, quintupling in size. So, back to uh, Oliver and Elizabeth, because we didn't have lesbians in, in, uh, in the 19th century. Don't, don't assume my gender in the 18th century. <laughs> in 19th century. Oh, shit. <laughs> you can assume my gender then. Yeah. I mean, we had lesbians, but we didn't call them that. I think Susan B. Anthony was... Anyway, you've yeah. taken up farming. Oh, nice. Farmland is cheap. Nice. You were a poor working man back in the city. Can confirm. And you had to scrimp and save to get your hands on the meager parcel you now own. Most of the money to be made on the canal comes from farming. It's a good and honest living, Oliver Olivia, but as it's been since the dawn of humanity, it's also a precarious way to survive. You don't know it yet, Oliver Olivia, but in the coming decade, a crash in the cotton market driven by land speculation in Chicago will wreak havoc on the local economy. Oh my god. God damn it, I hate it when that happens. And your own crops will fail in 1835. No. And again in 1837. Death has a nearness for you in its various masks of disease, poverty, starvation, Elizabeth, like a palpable presence, sorry, through the rounds of the seasons and the years of your life. It's too soon. Yeah, poor Elizabeth. We hardly knew ye. You worry about your farm. You worry about your children. My children? What will happen to you? You've only got three. What will happen to them if anything should happen to you? But there's always hope. There's word of a new preacher making his way through Allegheny County with good news. The Savior's return is imminent. He may be right here, right now. Now? He could be. He may, as a matter of fact, be a she, (gasps) Oliver Olivia. Whoa, that's some pretty edgy stuff. Could be. Yeah, we're getting there. Or maybe he or she has already come and gone, and we need only realize the grand revelation that the Savior has brought to us here on earth to rid ourselves of all of our worries and woes. So, so do I just go to the preacher and I'm okay? It sounds that way, doesn't oh, okay, it? Cool. Yeah, it could, could, it could be all right for you. All right. But we'll have to find out. I need to live on for Elizabeth. The kids. <laughs> right. Well, are the, the kids die too? No, well, the three that died. Oh, the two died. You had five. You kept three. <laughs> you know, back in the day when you have a bunch of kids for the farm, you just you can hardly you're keep lose track. Some. There was yeah, one that was in the woods for a few years. I think we might have had six, to be honest with you. Only Elizabeth really knows, and she, she, she took that with her to the grave. She had that shit on lock. <laughs> so, for about 50 years before the American Civil War, Western New York State was a hotbed of religious innovation and activity, and it came to be known as the Burned Over District. Burned over with religious fervor. See what I mean? Is that really why they called it that? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, a f- you got a fever for more religion. <laughs> It was the birthplace of modern spiritualism, a movement very close to my heart, as well as Mormonism, a movement very close to Savannah's heart. (laughs) Yeah, Mormons rock, dude. (laughs) Right? It was, hey, Mormon listeners, we know you're out there. (laughs) You rock, dude. Right. 
It was also the sometime home of at least three messianic movements, which is what brings the burned-over district to our attention today. In his autobiography, Charles Grandison Finney first coined the idea of a burnt district to refer to the region. Its burgeoning prosperity, brought on by the construction of the Erie Canal, invited migration to western New York, which had been kind of frontier territory up until then. All these forces converged to create an audience primed for new religious movements. But none of them had even been dreamt of when Mother Ann Lee first set up her farm in Albany County 50 years before the canal was built. We've got to view the relative success and longevity of Lee's Shaker movement retroactively through the lens of the burned-over district, which is why we've gone through this little exercise with Oliver Olivia and Elizabeth and the children. Thank you. However many there are. Although the Shakers were early to the party, the fact that they practiced celibacy meant that they needed to make regular converts to keep their movement alive, and there was no better place for that than Western New York. It might be an accident of history, but more likely a reflection of an underlying appetite in that frontier region, even before it began to attract large audiences of migrants in the 1830s and 1840s, that it was such a place for people to convert to something new, some new religion. People were there looking for new ways of doing things, new ways of being, new ways of approaching God. So let's get to Mother Anne Lee, shall we? Lee was born in a cottage in Manchester, England, on a leap year, on February 28, 1736. Sort of like the Gallagher boys from Oasis. She was... <laughs> Just like them. Yeah, they were also born in a small cottage in Manchester in 1736. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Don't look back in anger. Uh, she was the daughter of a blacksmith and one of eight children. Ooh. There was no public education at that period in human history, and so she spent her childhood working in the textile factories, a lot like Shannon. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> we're amazed. I you, just left. Yeah, you, uh, you just got out of the textile factory. Got all your limbs, too. Yeah, she's, mm-hmm. she, well, most of them. So, in the, <laughs> that's terrible. We should not make fun of child labor, but we are. In early adulthood... <laughs> Anne met two Quakers, the Wardleys, who introduced her to a group of sectarian believers, the French prophets, who were like regular prophets, but they eat more baguettes. And had cool accents. Right? (laughs) Mon Dieu. Uh, They'd come from the mountains of southern France, where they had practiced a unique form of Protestantism in which they shook and danced and convulsed under the uh, influence of God's divine power. Okay, got, I got it now. Got the whole shaker thing now? Yeah. The French prophets could trace their origins back to the Huguenot revival in 1668. Shaking with the Holy Spirit was only one of the incredible feats they performed. They claimed to be able to heal the sick and raise the dead, speak in tongues, and go into trance. James and Jane Wardley jump-started a shaker revival in England in 1747, calling themselves the... Shaking Quakers. These early Shakers were allowed to marry, but this would change when Mother Jane gave her spiritual office over to Mother Anne. So the Shakers were literally called Shakers because they would shake when they were, like, with God? It's perhaps the most on-the-nose name (laughs) for any religious denomination in the history of religions. They're just like, that's what it is. Like, we're done here, guys. Yeah, yeah. The spiritualists always have a lot of issues because, you know, everyone's spiritual these days, so no one ever knows exactly what they mean by that. (laughs) If they were the talk to the deadists, it'd be more like the shakers. Yeah, it just literally described what they did. Yep. They would dance. It's kind of a little dance they would do, but segregated into different genders. 
and they would oh, shake. Boo. Well, you know, the Quakers, like, they sit and wait to, to be inspired. Yeah, oh. Quaker church is the coolest thing. So it's the same idea, but with your shaking with your body. Huh, okay. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Less talking, more shaking? Less talk, yeah, more action. Isn't that just what dancing really is? <laughs> shaking with your body? <laughs> yeah, boy, deep cut from Shannon today. <laughs> okay. Cutting, cutting through the BS, getting right down to it. Facts. Anne Lee joined the Shakers in 1758 when she was 23, roughly a decade after the movement's founding, sort of like many of you all joining me on the podcast. Throughout her 20s, she suffered from prolonged spiritual crises, or I guess just one prolonged crisis, I suppose. <laughs> Our entire lives. I was a, literally, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you guys are going to really identify with Mother Anne for a while. Wow. She married and gave birth to four children. Oh, there it ends. That's where it stops. <laughs> you said for a while you lied to us. Well, they all died in infancy, so she remains childless. Okay. Oh. She believed she was being punished because she believed that her marriage was sinful. Oh. Anne wasted away until her friends had to care for her as if she were an invalid. She would pass through long episodes of anguish, followed by periods of reprieve, going back and forth between these states of being, and this lasted for nine years years wow those are some dedicated friends right but also was she well i obviously she was like really depressed but was she like sick physically as well she uh, was psychologically uh, uh yeah i guess depressed to the point that it caused physical gotcha. symptoms yeah should have wasted away That's but then crazy. she would bounce back so she said this was caused because she thought her marriage was sinful why was her marriage sinful we're getting there in my travail and tribulation, my sufferings were so great that my flesh consumed upon my bones, bloody sweat pressed through the pores of my skin, and I became as helpless as an infant. And when I was brought through and born into the spiritual kingdom, I was like an infant just brought into this world. At last, Jesus Christ revealed himself to her, opening a vision for her of things no other human being knew, and anointed her with the Spirit of Christ, capital Spirit of capital Christ. In her revelations, she discovered that God had a duality, both masculine and feminine. Oh, that's pagan. That was also a unity. There was, is that pagan? Yeah. There was one God who was both mother and father. The second revelation was that humanity had been corrupted and fallen into sin because from our first days on earth, here it comes, Shannon, whoa, whoa. Oh, already. <laughs> we had misunderstood sex. Oh, no. What do you mean? Why are you so far away? <laughs> oh, no. What do you mean? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. Thank you. Sex was, according to Anne Lee, you're not going to like this, solely for propagation. Boo! <laughs> Any sexual contact for the purpose of pleasure rather than reproduction was a sin, ladies. As a result of this spiritual error, women became men's slaves and slaves of their own sexual desires. Wait, she was you saying that they want to become... Yes, this is her perspective. Okay. Did you say All men? Right. Did you say man twice? Women. Oh, Women became men's slaves. It sounded like you accidentally. Maybe you didn't. Anyway. What is it with women like being like, yeah, let's be men's slaves. That sounds like a great idea, guys. There's a lot of people I see on Facebook that are like, yeah. 
Uh, I'm okay with that shit. <laughs> like, you, like modern, the, the never mind. Anti-feminist? Yeah. If you don't like pleasure in sex, Savannah, then you don't have to be any man's slave. If you take no pleasure in sex. What? If you only have sex to propagate uh, the species, then you will be no man's slave. Um, okay. <laughs> I guess I, s- mm, mm, there's like, mm, I kind of. <laughs> it, it is a second wave feminist attitude that all marriage is to some extent slavery or or subjugation i see where she's getting at like even today like in a modern oh, we're context. in the third wave now we're past this idea that's slut shaming. i don't know i think people yes. still have this exact same kind of thought like well, i also know. embrace female pleasure it's been a struggle here on the podcast we embrace female pleasure i hope that all of our male and female listeners out there are out there causing female orgasms you heard it here (laughs) e-rating anyway ann lee did not hope that she was hoping there were no orgasms and uh the reason shannon she felt her marriage was sinful i assume or we have to read between the lines here is because she and her husband enjoyed making those children too much which is why they all died Yeah, it's sort of the opposite of all of the occultists we talk about who believe that pleasurable, loving union causes healthy children. Mm. She's saying pleasurable union, no children. After her revelation and incredible recovery, the Shakers embraced Anne as their leader and began calling her mother. So after the nine years... She's like bounces back and says, stop having sex. It's terrible for you and for your children. It's bad. And they're like, wow. And Jesus came down and told her this. Jesus did. Wow. Anne was imprisoned for breaking the Sabbath by dancing and shouting and for blasphemy because she's a shaking Quaker and she is the leader of the shaking Quakers. Do you see? So they're dancing on the Sabbath. Can't do that. I can get down with that. All of England is the little town from Footloose. (laughs) She was was dragged out of her meetings and stoned in the streets. Oh, my God. Yeah, see, it's hard to hate her for very long, isn't it? Because she was persecuted, too, within an inch of her life multiple times. Oh, she fought for what she believed in, I Uh, guess. You could give her that. She's a kind of icon in her way. (laughs) I felt myself surrounded by the presence of God, and my soul was filled with joy. I knew they could not kill me, for my work was not done. Therefore, I felt joyful and comfortable, while my enemies felt confusion and distress. Lee reported miraculous escapes from some of these assaults. In one instance, her tormentors tried to tie her up, but the knots wouldn't hold. In another, the rocks they gathered to pelt her with wouldn't hit her. She was thrown into a small cell for 14 days. Maybe they were just bad... They had bad throwing arms. It's very biblical, though. Yeah. This is really Except weird. Except that Stephen died. It doesn't sound very like um like a hot take for that time period. Like I thought a lot of people. Oh, were about very, the sex. Yeah. Like why were people so upset about well, that? Well, she's also shaking and quaking. Mm. I, <laughs> like I don't know. I mean, I guess. That's I don't know. I don't. Like I don't punishable know punishable by rocks being thrown at you. I don't know if the sex was really what was causing the persecution. It was more the shaking and the channeling God and that sort of thing. Because if what was the dancing like? Because dancing for a lot of Christians would have, I mean, at the time, right? Would have been like bad. So what we're really talking about is a kind of charismatic worship, though. Like these people are speaking in tongues. God is entering, the Holy Spirit is entering their body. That's what's really pissing your Protestant off. 
This is not the way we worship. This is God does not come down into our body. Well, then who's there? Uh, could be anyone, really. <laughs> knock, knock. So did she come up with this idea herself? Like, was she just like a distraught woman who lost her children and then's like, well, maybe this is why? Or did someone come to the town with this idea and she latched onto it? Jesus. Oh. She had a vision. She was divinely inspired. Oh, that's another question. Where was her husband during that nine-year depressive episode? He was around. Oh. But less so. Because they're not banging. Right? No way. So wait, how... So what was he doing? How can they still be married? Like, was she making well, him not- food and stuff? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, what's happening? No, she's laying in bed for nine years. She was thrown into a small cell for 14 days, and the door was kept locked the whole time. She was given neither food nor water, but one of her followers, James Whitaker, managed to feed her by shoving a straw through the keyhole and giving her milk and wine. Whoa. Wow, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, well, pretty cool with how her perseverance, I mean. Yeah, she does this a lot. She's a tough woman. It was Whitaker who instigated the Shakers' move to America. He had a vision of a tree with burning branches growing in America. In 1774, hearing Whitaker's revelation, Anne Lee decided to gather a small group of her shaking Quakers and start off across the ocean to the colonies. Then, those colonies were on the eve of rebellion. 1774, after all. Mm. So, on the voyage over, the Shakers annoyed the sailors with their strange style of worship, and Lee preached against their sinful ways. Right? You should probably not do that on the boat. <laughs> that right, it's you're like on. making fun of your cab driver. Like you don't do that. Your Uber driver. Hey man, nice car. Like where'd you get this piece of shit? You don't do that. You get a bad rating. Right? But that's what she's up to because there are no ratings at 1774. So, the uh, captain threatened to throw her overboard. Oh. 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 That's the equivalent of a bad rating. He was like, I'm not going to have any bitch tell me what to do on my ship. Yeah, it's like the Uber driver pulling over and saying, get out of my car. But before he could pull over, the ship sprung a leak. Lee saw a vision of two angels promising that the ship would be saved, and the Shakers helped to pump the hull and press the plank into place, saving them all from Davy Jones's locker. That was my own thing there. You know Davy Jones's locker? <laughs> yes, oh, oh, we I know, know about it. Right, because Johnny Depp, right? I was literally about to say Pirates of the Caribbean, one, two, three, four? I actually spent some time like studying pirate lore to work on a play a few years ago, so I did not need Johnny are, Depp for, are we for doing Davy Jones. Pirate pirate no, we're not, awesome. we're not currently doing that play. But. Can we? The Shakers yeah. set themselves up on uh, in, in Niskayuna, which is now Watervliet. Watervliet. If anyone's from Wandervliet, please please send us a message and tell us how to pronounce the name of your town. <laughs> and a postcard. Uh, that was seven miles northwest of Albany. Anne was the spiritual leader of the community, with three men serving as her council of elders. Those men were her brother, William Lee, James Whitaker, and John Hocknell, who was the only one in the group with any property and was responsible for purchasing their farm in Niskayuna, now Wandervliet. <laughs> 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 After a long illness, her husband gave up Shakerism and left her. There he goes, Savannah. You were oh. looking for him. Found him. Oh, so he was part of the movement. Well, yeah, he was hanging. Like I said, he was oh, okay. chilling, but now he's not chilling. He just left? He, had, he came all the way to America, got sick, and said, <laughs> I've had enough of this. I'm out of here. I'm too tired. Too t- yeah, woman, I'm tired. 
My ass is tired. I'm out of here. At first, uh, Lee went largely unmolested in America. There's a possibly apocryphal story what? of an unmolested... Unbothered. You can't, Unbo- you can't say it like that. I, I can, I'm a scholar. I can say molested uh, like that. She can't be... She's an adult woman well, who gets stoned. <laughs> that's why she... Never mind. She doesn't get stoned. She gets... She's stoned. People st- so oh my God. people throw stones at her is what I'm trying to say. She's not a molested stoned woman. She's unmolested in America. And unbothered. Unbothered. But that's not like it's not like You're gonna start a controversy. It's unmolested because it's not like people aren't like nagging her. Like she doesn't get up in the morning and people are like, Hey Anne, what are we doing today? What are we gonna do, Anne? What are we gonna do today? Are we gonna convert you one Anne? Hey Anne, you're gonna shake? <laughs> That's what unbothered means. Unmolested. Like people are not actively beating her up like they were back in England. That's the point (laughs) I'm trying to make, ladies. There's a possibly apocryphal story of a man who was sent to England to get permission from the king to persecute her. What? what? Wait, where did this guy come from? Who's this dude? We don't know. It's just like he's he's only called a man. to the king himself he from was, America? He, he was going to go to oh. the king, and the king was like, yeah, sure, come on over. Let's talk about whether or not you should persecute Anne. But he died on the way in a form of divine retribution oh against God. Lee's enemies. That's incredible. It's a miracle. Uh, a man died on a boat. <laughs> so, so the small group of shakers toiled on their little farm for several years, earnestly waiting for a new higher revelation or a second coming. Mother, do you believe the gospel will ever open to the world? Yes, Brother William. I certainly know it will, and the time is near at hand when they will come like doves. Please, Mother, you have often told us so, but it does not come yet. Be patient, be patient. Oh, my dear children, for I can see great numbers coming now, and you soon will see them in great number. So that dude, like, he just saw them in America and got pissed off about it? Apparently, the man. And he like wrote to the. He wrote to. He the wasn't king. gonna write. No, he wanted to take the trip. Oh, but but he didn't get permission. He was just like, I'm just going to England. Yeah, he's gonna. Uh, he was gonna wait the at there. Buckingham oh, okay. Palace until the, way the you king said came it made out. It sound like <laughs> I'm <laughs> meeting wrote, with the king. I thought you meant that he like so he was wrote waiting, to yeah. the king, and the king was like, Yeah, dude. Like he was gonna wait for the king to come out of the palace and then shout at him from the crowd, Can I persecute Anne? <laughs> And the oh, king would be like, oh I would like to burst. And the what king would the be hell? like, what was that? I approve of that man. I don't, I'm not sure what he wants. But what, what was his name? The a, man. A man. A man. A man. A man has no name. Yes, sir. <laughs> In 1779, it just so happened that a religious revival had started up in New Lebanon, New York. Mass conversions swept through the area, and people began to speak about the imminent return of Jesus Christ and the establishment of the kingdom of heaven on earth. Some of the revivalists managed to wander over to the little Shaker farm in Niskayuna, and news quickly spread of Lee and her crew of converts and their strange and fascinating method of worship, and the Shakers began to win converts to their practice. Could you imagine walking up to a farm and just people out in the yard just like shaking? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but you would be one of the people who was like hanging out in a town at a little tent revival and someone was like, hey, I hear there's people shaking on that farm. And you were like, well, okay, let's go. <laughs> let's go. Yeah. So you would be thrilled. By oh, all look, the they're really shaking. shaking. Look at them shake. And then you'd be like, can I shake too? And they'll be like, yeah, but you can't have sex anymore. And you'll be like, okay. 
I'm in. <laughs> or just go out dancing. <laughs> shake away. <laughs> can I shake and have sex? No. 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 Not unless you're dancing. You can shake or have Who's sex. Who's going to stop me? Mother and Lee. I was about to say. And Jesus. Uh, as Lee uh, drew attention, though, she also drew suspicion. While driving sheep to feed a crew of visitors to the Shaker farm, David Darrow of New Lebanon, who had served as a lieutenant in the War for Independence and was also a Shaker, was arrested under suspicion of provisioning the British. That's how much they didn't like the Shakers. They accused one of their own lieutenants of being a spy for the British just because he was helping them out. The Shakers were systematically caught and imprisoned. Mother Anne Lee, along with Father William Lee, her brother, and Father James Whitaker were sent to Albany, where they were quickly tried and convicted of treason and shut up in the old fort above the city. Anne had prophesied that the colonists' success in the war was imminent. So she was like, you guys are going to win this war. And they were like, go to jail. (laughs) Go to our fort jail. Uh, it didn't make much difference to them that she was seemingly on their side. She was eventually sent to Poughkeepsie and then released by order of the government in December 1780. The imprisonment uh, wasn't so much a setback, though, as a boon, spreading their fame across the region. We, The podcast could go, you know, we could be internationally famous. We are, okay, so we could have, we are internationally known, but we could be internationally famous <laughs> if we could just find our way into jail. On suspicion of treason. On it. You okay, got it, great. Rob. Shannon, Shannon volunteered. Thank so. goodness. Shannon's doing that for we us. We just march right up to the White House with a fake bird and be like, explain this. <laughs> That'll do it. That'll, can't wait. Can't wait for those headlines. The we were, day we lost Savannah. <laughs> I was doing it for the Hierophant and the Grand Master. Oh, Thanks. God. It was around this time that Lee assumed the role of second coming of Christ in female form. Uh, I was waiting for this a yes, little bit. Yes, it was her all along. Mm. She was Jesus all this time. What? She's Lady Jesus. Mm, okay. No, I'm here for Jesus being a lady, but now that she's calling herself Jesus, I'm not here for it anymore. It, uh, according to one of the Shaker's first chroniclers, this wasn't actually her idea. It was more her council of elders, Whitaker and Hocknell and her mm. brother, who were like, wouldn't it be great? Don't you think maybe... You could be <laughs> Lady Jesus, and she was like, "Nah." And they were like, "But, but you, you could be." And she was like, "I could be." They were like, "She's Lady Jesus." Oh. She was like, oh, "All right, yeah, all right, fine." So they toured New England through 1781 and 1782, like you do when you find Lady Jesus, and they were regularly greeted by mobs and attacks. They were driven out of Harvard, Massachusetts, over and over again by mobs of varying kinds, including one full of, I kid you not, religious professors. Oh, I'm sorry, religion professors. Uh, Who may or may not have been religious. (laughs) Yeah, professors of religion. (laughs) Bible scholars. Uh, One night, a mob gathered outside. I told you those people are rough. One night, a mob gathered outside the house where they were staying and lingered until morning. The Shakers fed them breakfast. Wow. Right? And the mob let them pass. But as soon as they got into Harvard, they beat the two of the Shaker fathers, tying one to a tree and whipping him. Oh, my God. Yeah, so, so let's just review that sequence of events. I know that we keep, like, joking around, but this is terrible. Oh, yeah. absolutely. 100%. Yeah. They were very, see, right, we're very much persecuted. So that's why Anne yeah. Lee, like, we're not going to agree with many of her theolo- theological notions or philosophy, but 
absolutely persecuted. Totally yeah. not cool. But I just want to walk through that sequence of events once more. <laughs> They're at a house outside of Harvard, Massachusetts. A mob gathers in the morning. They're like, oh, those guys are still out there. Let's cook for them. And they send out some bread and some eggs. And the mob's like, ha, 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 ha. We just had breakfast. Let's pretend like they're cool and let them walk past us. And they do. And as soon as they get past them and can't now get back to the house, they grab their two male leaders and beat the crap out of them. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. You don't mess with an American mob circa 1780. So, uh... At every stop, the Shakers were persecuted. Mother Anne hid in closets as mobs formed outside the houses where she stopped, and her male followers suffered severe beatings. So they often would spare her as a woman, right, out of mm-hmm. some kind of chivalry. But the men, they took to the, to the woodshed. They also performed miracles on their travels. In New Lebanon, echoing the miracle of the loaves and fishes, the Shakers managed to, f- managed to feed a crowd of 200, even though no food had been cooked that day. One Shaker follower named Father James had his ribs broken when he was pulled down off of his horse by a man hoping to dash his brains against a rock. Oh, my God. Yeah, people were violent. He got away, but his ribs uh, were a source of terrific pain for him afterwards. Mother Anne wouldn't let him seek recourse with the law on the principle of turning the other cheek, and Father James eventually recovered miraculously all on his own. I mean, these people are really something. They never want any retribution. They're sort of welcoming persecution, which is not an unusual... I mean, for the early Christians, this was more or less the same thing. They loved to be persecuted and martyred. It was great for the you know propagation of the cause. So I assume Mother Anne Lee felt the same way. And the movement did spread, despite the fact that none of them were having any children. There are mixed reports of Lee's behavior in America, though. So here's where things get a little funky. She's supposed to have been a relatively violent alcoholic who beat her brother publicly and cursed like a sailor. It's really hard to tell exactly how true these stories were. Certainly, Lee was a woman of superhuman passion and commitment. We can imagine these passions spilling over into less wholesome pursuits than winning converts and praising God. An intense personality can manifest in good and bad ways. As we can see in her pre-Revelation episodes of Deep Depression, she certainly was subject to strong moods. She was also a working-class girl who never learned to read and probably was not possessed of an especially genteel bearing. She's not going around sipping tea with her pinky out. We know from the story of Lee in the small jail cell as well that she consumed wine, presumably following the example of Jesus himself. So she wasn't a teetotaler. But... We also know that she had a lot of enemies with a motive to undermine her cause by tarnishing her reputation. Still, if they really wanted to undermine her, they could have accused her of something more damning, like breaking her vow of celibacy, which was so central to her program. Writing in 1903, the Shaker historians White and Taylor make no mention of these aspects of her personality. But the non-Shaker historian Lampson, whose account dates to 1848, we mentioned all these guys at the top of the episode, he does include this in his profile. So for him, Ann Lee was an alcoholic who beat her brother publicly and swore like a sailor, which kind of endears her to me a little bit, if I'm being honest. But <laughs> if you ask the Shaker historians, this they just don't mention it. It never comes up. They also don't deny it. They don't bring it up at all. So we're left to draw our own conclusions. 
Lee and her followers managed to start a Shaker community at Harvard, Massachusetts, despite all the persecution, as well as seven more communities around the region. She died in September 1784, just months after her brother's passing in July. The movement Lee brought to America was controversial and fascinating, but never especially well populated. At their height, the Shakers may have numbered around 5,000, and this is now moving through that period, the Erie Canal and all this, so they, they... probably got to 5,000, but they steadily diminished in large part because of their strict policy of celibacy. If you're going to start a religion, don't insist on celibacy. But, so, they weren't allowed to have kids then? No children. Okay, but I thought that was, like, the thing. It was, like, that you could have sex, but just for kids. Initially, but then, you know, if you really think about that principle, ultimately, sex itself is imperiling your soul, so you probably just want to not bother. Okay, did they just accept that they would eventually die off? From well, I, th- I think they believe they would keep converting people. Yeah. Well, they... but once everyone's converted, then what? Then you're good. Everyone dies now. Oh, okay. And so that was... Seven. But Christ has come to earth, so that sort of reassures us. Okay. Yeah. Just part of the plan, I guess. <laughs> For as long as the Shakers existed, they believed that Christ had made his second, second appearance on earth in the person of Mother Anne Lee. The first coming was Jesus as the son, the second was Jesus as the daughter, and as a result, we must have no natural affections but only love for the church, getting to Shannon's question. And since we are living in a world made perfect by Christ's return, miracles are not only possible but a regular feature of earthly life, like Father James's ribs recovering, or the loaves and fishes episode feeding the crowd, or their various escapes from persecution. By the 1840s, the Shakers of New Lebanon were slowly diminishing in number from lack of sexual propagation. But interestingly, over in Madison County, John Humphrey Noyes had devised a way of having sex that would nevertheless yield more or less the same result. It's time to talk about the perfectionists. These guys sound fun already. Oh, you're going to love them. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, to get us started here, friends, and you're going to love this even more. Yeah, you're going to love this. Uh, It's time for the latest installment in the most requested segment we do here on the podcast. It's a segment that requires no further introduction as confessors the world over are right now as we speak reading between the lines of my less than subtle lead-in and gleefully crying out and clapping their hands together like excited school children who've just heard that school's closing early for the blizzard. Yes, that's right! It's a moment with the biographical dictionary of American cult and sect leaders by J. Gordon Melton. Thank God. (laughs) I know, we needed him after all that, didn't we? Thank you, Jay Gordon. John Humphrey Noyes was born in Brattleboro, Vermont, on September the 3rd, 1811. His father was an agnostic who served a term in Congress before retiring at the age of 53. John completed degrees at Dartmouth, where he studied law, and Yale Divinity School. He fell in with a group calling themselves the Perfectionists, who believed that humans could become perfect in this lifetime. This led him to conclude that the Second Coming had already occurred, specifically in the year 70 AD, and that humans could now be perfect, living in the new age of the spirit. Once a person was saved, he or she could not subsequently fall from grace, and church authority should be placed second to personal convictions. In August 1837, a periodical published Noy's belief that in heaven there would be no marriage, with men and women enjoying unfettered sexual relationships with as many people as they wished. Oh my goodness. Yeah. What? Right? But, <laughs> this, is, this is bizarro, Mother yeah. Anne. 
The letter drew controversy, and also apparently Savannah's ire. And to prove that he wasn't suggesting this marriage-free society as a plan for the earthbound, he went ahead and married Harriet Horton, who had been saved while reading some of his writing. So if anyone is saved, yeah, that's all. If anyone is saved by listening to this podcast, you're obligated to marry at least one of us. Oh, <laughs> we're we're gonna we're gonna come find you. Oh, uh, no. it, just in case anyone accuses us of anything, we'll come find you and straighten it all out by marrying you. <laughs> yeah, that'll work. <laughs> it worked for John Humphrey Noise. Yeah, let's do it. He founded his first commune in 1844. Well, guess what? We'll get to do though. See, our some of our listeners are like, I don't know if I want to marry you, but wait, 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 listen. What happens next? Uh, so I'm offended. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, Shannon's like, you don't know what this we have to like offer the here. The weirdest bachelorette I've ever So Noyes founded his first commune in 1844, organizing 28 adults into a shared system of work, living space, and finances. In 1846, he in- experimented with his first complex marriage system. Uh, along with Harriet, Noyes married, or, or rather joined, Mary and George Cragen in an arrangement to share marriage partners, which they believed was God's will. It's just legitimate swingers. They're oh, just yeah. they're just making it legitimate. Right, but in 1846. That's so crazy. Way cooler than swingers. That's insane. <laughs> Two more couples. This is going to get really weird really fast. Noise's sisters and their husbands next joined the arrangement. Okay. Oh, oh no. Bringing the grand total to eight. I'm going to just assume grand. that he did not get involved with the sisters. Uh, what? No, he was involved with everyone. Oh. <laughs> When the rest, we don't know that. When the, we, don't, we have no documentary evidence, one way or the other. Cannot confirm nor deny. When the rest of the commune discovered this complex marriage, they ran noise out of town, and in 1847, yeah. he brought his community to Oneida, New York, where some of his followers had already started another commune. By 1851, the community had grown to 275 members in Oneida. Oh my God. Are they all married? Mm, yep, they're going to be. And several adjoining branches. At Oneida, Noyes put his complex marriage system into full effect. All of the men on the commune were considered married to all of the women. On the belief that childbearing was a curse that should not be visited on women in a perfected world, Noyes invented a form of birth control called caretza today, or coitus interruptus. Essentially... What? Pulling oh, out? Yep. <laughs> Co- coitus interruptus. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Olivia Oliver. Sorry. Um, yeah, essentially the male orgasm was held off to prevent insemination. For noise, the female partner could still have an orgasm, though. Hey there, ladies. Woo! Yeah. Uh, modern day caretza, or caretza, I don't know how to pronounce this, uh, which, which is, by the way, still a thing. Modern day caretza, I, there's a whole, I found a website on it and everything. <laughs> Uh, it involves sexual contact between partners to stimulate as much sexual energy as possible without anybody getting off. What's the... <laughs> Who like, wants what? to do that? Yeah. I think Sting. What? <laughs> the band Sting? No, Sting and the police. He's the guy. Sting is the one guy. Oh, whoops. I thought he was a band. <laughs> Never mind. We're learning so many Yikes. lessons here today. <laughs> We're learning about Caretza and Sting. Uh, Coincidentally, Noise and his wife had suffered five miscarriages before he developed his system of Caretza and complex marriage. Does that sound familiar? Um. Yeah. He protested what he called men's sexual liberty with their wives, the right to what we'd call today marital rape. Progressive guy. Okay. 
women were to be sexually and socially empowered and liberated at Oneida. This is like third wave feminist stuff. They were allowed to wear bloomers. Whoa. Oh, yeah, ladies. Nothing like a pair of bloomers to, <laughs> to you know, open up your whole outlook on life. Uh, they cut their hair short. Yeah, okay. And they benefited from communal child care. So you don't have to, oh. you know, it's not you all the time taking care of the kid. You got all your friends right. and all your husbands. But they didn't want you to have kids, right? You, or they will we're going to get there. Okay. Yeah, you're going to get to have kids, but only under certain circumstances. Okay. Well, I agree with them that childbearing seems like a curse. So, <laughs> so does the Bible? I've been in the delivery room. It's uh, quite an experience. Uh, and they were free to participate in the business of politics uh, of the of the commune. So the business and politics, I should say. Okay. So women could do do it all. They were fully enfranchised, and this is in the 1840s when they definitely are not in the United <laughs> States, and they won't get the right to vote for you know another what seventy years out there. Wow. So that's a moment with the Biographical Dictionary of Cult and Sect Leaders. Oh, Woo-hoo. I love that. Yeah, I can't wait for that next time, Rob. I know. <laughs> I think it might be Olivia who brings it back next, but we'll find out. Woo. Something to look forward to. Henry Seymour, one of the original members of the Oneida community, published a dialogue defending the principles of Noyes Commune. Here's his defense of complex marriage. You say marriage between one man and one woman is the only system for the maintenance of a civilized society. How can you guarantee that any married man can furnish the needed support to his wife and children? Of course he pledges the whole of his property and all his personal power to procure by his industry the means of supporting them. But does that ever happen that these guarantees are insufficient? You mean where a man dies or comes to poverty through hard times or sickness or their own folly or incompetence and the women and children suffer? So you'll admit then that marriage is not always the perfect remedy for the evils that grow out of acts of love. But I am sure that marriage is vastly better than nothing. Okay, well, suppose now that a hundred men were to pledge their lives, their property, their honor for the support of an equal number of women and their children. Wouldn't that be a stronger guarantee than a single man could provide? Of course it would. Free love in the Oneida community did not mean freedom to gratify a so-called love for a limited period, nor freedom for a man to take a woman's person and keep his property to himself, nor freedom to burden a woman with his offspring and leave her without care or help. The tie that bound the commune together was as permanent and at least as sacred as that of marriage. Every man's care and the whole lot of it. In this respect, therefore, as in so many others, it was a very long way in advance of marriage and ordinary civilization. The way that they, like, talk about, like, multiple, you know, like, men being there and, like, the women and, like, taking, well, you alluded to the fact that they're going to have kids eventually. Yeah, it reminds right me now, yeah. of the shamanism, kind of, like, how their tribes worked, but sure, with sex. Sure, tribal culture, but yeah, <laughs> but with sexing everyone. Right, but the fact that know. they all, like, took responsibility for each other's children sure as like a way to like boost the i don't know yeah. i think it's an interesting thought. they took that old saying um it takes a village very seriously literally <laughs> it takes seriously. a village to sex each other <laughs> isn't it that does. how that goes uh, yep. yeah yeah uh, yes raise a child unlike the shakers though speaking of children we've been wondering about these children the oneida perfectionists produced children using the agriculturally inspired practice of stirpiculture what Please explain. It is what we would call today eugenics. Oh, what? So, what? yeah, the Nazis made eugenics not so cool, right? Because Hitler believed <laughs> yeah, strongly in eugenics. Yeah. Uh, 
But in 1848, there was no Hitler, so it was a fairly popular idea, at least in theory. We did an episode of Victoria Woodhall. She had some theories on eugenics. The idea was if you wanted to have children, a committee would pair you with a partner based on your spiritual and moral qualities with the goal of producing perfect children. Hmm. Just like you would pair certain dogs or certain cows or certain horses. All right, horse breeding is a great example to get racehorses. You try to pair the right horses to get the best possible racehorse. This is the idea. You're trying to get the best possible child through the pairing of male and female. Okay. So because it's like this perfect pairing, it's not considered a curse or a burden anymore on the woman? Because we're creating a perfect child. Uh, Okay, well, you lost me there. (laughs) And it's only if the woman wants to have children. You don't have to. Oh, okay. You can still have sex and orgasms. But you don't have to have children. Oh, but if it, you're like, I would really like to have a child, then we're like, gotcha. okay, cool. You can have a child, but we're going to pick your partner for you so that you produce the most perfect child. I'm back kind of on board. We'll breed you a little bit like a racehorse. <laughs> yeah, that's... Would they treat the child differently if it was born with any, like, I don't know, disabilities? I don't think they had that issue so much. How do they know it's perfect? They just know. Deep in their soul. But uh, the other thing, Shannon, is that it's a spiritually perfect child. So I don't know that there's as much focus on outward anyhow. I was just curious. The commune manufactured silverware to pay their bills. Later, after their more utopian ideals dissolved, they reformed as a joint stock company owning on a community limited. You probably have some silverware in your home right now. Mm -hmm. It says Oneida on it. The Oneida community thrived relatively unmolested for 20 years. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't know you guys were going to make a whole thing about that word, but we apparently I used say it twice. something the yeah. second time. We just... Noise's vision... Well, yeah, no, but I didn't... Anyway. Noise's vision came to encompass the phenomena of spiritualism, the various displays of mediumship at seances conducted in private homes and public halls across the country going back to 1848. Spiritualism was further proof that the perfectionists were living in a post-apocalyptic world because heaven had been established on earth, complete with the return of the dead. What? Right? When the heaven is established on earth, we get the rapture and the revelation, the dead will return. Guess what? They return every day in the spiritualist church. I've talked to them. What? Hold They've on. They've made tables dance. I'm lost. Who's, so, re- who's coming back from the dead? Everyone. The, uh, because Jesus came and went in the year 70. The but So Jesus came and went in the year 70. So we're okay. living in a perfect world. We just didn't realize it. So if we wake up and we're like, oh yeah, we're in a perfect world. So the dead people are just right there. We can talk to them. And we'd start doing that. And we're like, we're in a perfect world. We don't have to bear children. We quit doing that, except when we want to. We just aren't acting like we're in a perfect world. You get the theory? I do, but like, do they have proof that they talk to the dead people? Well, Where the are they? Spiritualists dead people? do. Your medium what? talks to you. You know, mediums and stuff. Oh, so mediums weren't allowed or couldn't talk to dead people until Jesus came back. In the year 70, though, so. <laughs> It's <laughs> a pretty long Wait, time. 70, 80, okay, never mind. Yes, yeah, in the year 70. Okay, yeah, yeah. So they've been around for quite a while. And we don't stone them, which is super cool because the Bible says you have to. Thank you, just John Humphrey Noyes. In the 1870s, some of the younger adults in the commune banded together to, in opposition to Noyes' leadership. Oh, it's, we're going to end. They, they, we're closing up Noyes here, just so you know. We're about to shut him down. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly the practice of complex marriage. So the younger adults were like, oh, we're not on board with this. Noise was at the time attempting to pass leadership of the community onto his son, which historically almost never works out. <laughs> See, for example, Henry VIII uh, or... Mm-hmm. 
Oliver Cromwell, or mm. we could go on and on. It's just, it's just a bad plan. You cannot just pass it on to your son. It's always going. Your son's never. The son is never, or rarely, the as talented as the father in terms of leadership. Also, the problem of when and how to initiate children into the practice of complex marriage. Think about that for a second. Oh. Had become a particularly thorny problem. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Interestingly, this exact same problem would be echoed a century later in the communal children of God or family of love. I was literally just thinking, this is two children of God. It's exactly the same problem. That's Yep. So noise really went through all of this 110 years before or 100 years before. So, there was a warrant out for Noyes' arrest on charges of statutory rape. In failing health and hearing, he fled to Canada, where he lived out the rest of his days surrounded by his closest followers and died in Niagara Falls, Canada on the 13th of April, 1886. What would they have considered, like, too young then for it to be statutory rape? Do you know what I mean? Because back then, the age was... Yeah, we were more open. Yeah, right. Edgar Allan Poe, right? Some of his affairs. But... We can all agree that secondary sexual characteristics are important, right? Right. However, the thing about secondary sexual characteristics is that they start to appear, right, at a certain age. But honestly, a person is not fully developed until they're in their early 20s. Like my freshmen in college are most of the way there. They're not done yet. So it's hard to draw that line. They're all adults, right? I was just wondering what they would have considered statutory rape. Hey, I, I, they're marrying like... 14. Yeah. You could go to 14. Okay. Yeah. And I don't think we were all right with that with uh, I was Joseph Smith. <laughs> I don't want to... We don't want to go in there. Hey, Mormons. Uh, no. we, we love you guys. We Hi there. there. Hi there, Mormons. We're so glad to have you. We're not going to bother Joseph Smith today. Um, let's get to the analysis, shall we? The strange correlations between Anley and John Noy's careers both centered in the burned-over district, are what drew me to tell their stories together. Both invoked the second coming of Christ as a means, at least in part, to correct inequities between men and women in post-enlightenment America. The Lockean concept of innate human equality crystallized in America's founding documents as the principle that all men are created equal created a kind of cognitive dissonance for some Americans in the first decades of the country's founding. Religious explanations based on the Curse of Eve idea that all women were easily tempted and led around by their physical desires had by this point pretty much fallen away. But there was no justification to replace that old Christian concept to make sense of why women were being subjugated. Simple observation showed that women were men's intellectual equals and yet they were treated as second-class citizens, kept from the public sphere, and deprived of a voice and a vote. Mother Ann Lee and John Humphrey Noyes provided the early radical response to this feeling of dissonance. The act of childbearing, which became a terrible ordeal for both of them, with the repeated miscarriages or deaths of their children, surfaced as the monster to blame for what had happened to women since the fall of Sparta. The miscarriages showed them that something was horribly wrong about the way human beings were engaging with sex. Sex itself became a kind of primitive, outdated activity that humans deserved to move beyond. A second coming guaranteed that the world in which they lived was, or rather could be, in that new utopian, post-sex or new-sex space. 
But Lee banned sex, whereas noise seemed to transform and multiply its expression in his complex marriages. This shows what a difference, in my mind, 70 years could make. Lee was a kind of last gasp of old-world Puritanism, migrating to the New World to get away from Europe's famous anti-Puritan culture. After all, that's how we got the pilgrims. The British were like, we can't stand you people. Can you get out? (laughs) And then the Salem and all that. To borrow from our Mayan episode... Lee was the end of the old sexual paradigm manifesting in an especially extreme form. John Humphrey Noyes was part of a new paradigm that would f- wouldn't fully mature until a hundred years later with the invention of female contraception and the rise of countercultural free love in the 1960s. But while the Noyes movement may have matured, it hasn't necessarily realized its full potential, in my opinion. Monogamous relationships continue to be the highest standard for child-rearing, despite the abundance of alternate arrangements in the wide world. And the apification of sex through Tinder, Grinder, Bumble, Hitch, Hinge, and Christian Mingle has done more to encourage... <laughs> what about farmers only? And I can't farmers only that. has done more to encourage emotionless, detached sex than the close communal love noise envisioned. Sorry, hot take, but that's my take. Perhaps, despite what Noyes argued and Lee's followers believed, we still await a Messiah who can set us all on the true path to love, care, passion, and compassion. I feel like we're still dealing with, I know you mentioned like the different waves of feminism kind of within this, but I feel like some of the things that were talked about were still we're still arguing about. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of um, slut shaming out there. And I think before we can get to a point where everybody can, like, just have, like, good sex together, kind of like what they were envisioning, we need to get to a point where women are allowed to have sex without being reprimanded or, or what being... noise was but... envisioning. <laughs> no, <laughs> Mother Emily was having... We would have no sex, but... Well, yeah, there's I'm also, sorry. I feel like, a lot of women out there that have this... I don't I want I want to say anti-feminist perspective but like it's it's like a heavily debated thing. Women shaming women. Yes, right. Well there's, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of women out there that think like well, There's your mother and Lee to some extent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean sex in any context for her is is a pleasure, a woman's pleasure but a man's pleasure pleasure generally is is looked down on. Whereas noise values pleasure, it's perfectly fine to empower women. So yeah, you're really looking at a second wave and a third wave feminist with Mother Emily. Mm-hmm. Right. There's like noise. a lot of women now that feel empowered in like <laughs> in uh, the positions they're currently in. Do you know what I mean? Like you mean being like, there's some doggy style or like no, the missionary but like, position? What are we talking? I don't want to say being under the foot of a man because that's extreme. But like, do you know what I mean? There's oh, so women who like to be subjugated. There's kind also of men who like to be subjugated. I mean, like, but yeah, it, it's I don't know non-binary folks who like to be subjugated. <laughs> yep. I want to include everyone. I, I mean, guess... the BDSM, right? The whole concept is, but it's that, it's, it's within the feminist pleasure. argument. I think is like. Oh well, help me out there. There's a lot of women online, specifically that I see that are like a woman's place is in the kitchen, and like we need to serve the men. The men go out and work for us, and we stay home and take care of the and kids. And there's like the a sense of pride attitude. in yes, that. Yes, exactly. It's like as a woman, I am proud that that is my role. So it's like a mm. weird form of feminism. That's this like argument, but... but but it has to be a woman's role then. So I, I think it's certainly a choice a woman could make, and she could yes. enjoy it. She could mm-hmm. get off on it if she wants, whatever. But 
that shouldn't be the only option available as a result of your gender, right? Right. Yeah. So they're saying that that's all you should be doing? No, not necessarily, but I mean, there are, there's always extreme cases. But it's more like I am proud as a woman that this is my this is where I put myself. This is my place. This is I take care of the home. I do this. I do that. That's my job, and I don't want that to change. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, maybe to put a point on it, to some extent, my preferred attitude would be if you want to go down the Anne Lee path and say sex is wrong and what have you, you go for it. Sure. (laughs) If that's what you need. I mean, it's to each his own, which like we're just never going to reach that perfect utopia that noise was thinking like everybody's on the same page. Nobody's ever... No, and that's we're the never pluralistic the American page. vision of what religion should be is that we're in a religious marketplace where we're choosing the path for us that fits best. Mm-hmm. So I, I, in theory, I think the podcast gets behind that. Probably everyone here feels like sex is good, though. Yeah, Whoa. I mean, but the, but like we're not, we don't want to seem like we're the kind of people that are pushing like everybody needs to have sex. It's like it, it really is to everyone do what to, you're comfortable man. with. Do what you do. You do you. Yeah. You do who you want to do or don't want to do. Yeah. It. <laughs> it's it would a lovely be... sentiment. We should make t-shirts. Put it on a t-shirt. I was. <laughs> it would be nice if everybody was on the same page, but everybody should be free to do what they want because there's always going to be somebody who disagrees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good way to close things up. Let's bang the gong. I've got a sound effect, you guys. Yeah, you do, which is why I was confused <laughs> you that you said it. <laughs> well, see, I say let's bang the gong, and then later I will make that sound. It'll be, it'll work really I don't think you've well. Ever said that, that though. But I get to say different things, different times. Podcasting. Welcome to the Order of Confessors. We want to thank Gummy Panda. <laughs> Gummy Panda. Gummy Panda. Panda. Uh, starting in episode one, looking forward oh, to wow. more episodes. Yeah, it's, oh, that's I'm a lot sorry. of pressure, right? Yeah. But, but no, some of our <laughs> sex is first. Sex, ma- American sex magic. There's some good stuff yeah, we at, started the, off at the a early rough, part of that. But we, we're getting better. So. Well, and you know, a l- little hint: we do go back and clean up some of the past episodes. So <laughs> FYI, the secret is out. Uh, but we do, we do, we haven't, we haven't changed our order of episodes, so they're all yeah. still there. We don't do that. Liana H. has been uh, listening to more episodes, listening to... <laughs> Are you okay? She... No, I, I mixed up the two here. Liana H. has been listening for two weeks. Oh. Straight. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, it feels like, like we're just on all the time. Wow. I guess you can do that now. There are 52 <laughs> hours or you so of us in on the internet. So yeah, we can just constantly be on loop, I suppose, and... <laughs> and you won't hear the same thing for uh, at least two days. We got to bust out more episodes because <laughs> we're here. We are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we want to mention uh, that the campfire confessional is coming soon. So we've been hearing oh. from a lot of folks. Olivia has been collecting your yes. stories of your occult experiences and uh, what we're going to be doing as we move into next year. But we're going to start it at the end of this year. Um, is we're going to be having listener-directed episodes or listener-driven episodes. Um, so this is a whole episode that we're going to do sort of once every season that is just uh, listener suggestions. So we'll take the topics and ideas and questions you ask, and uh, we'll take your occult experiences and, and anything you want to share with us, uh, and we'll put it all into one episode, and we're, we're going to be calling that our Campfire Confessional uh, because uh, here in the month of December, we will be heading out into the woods uh, with our microphone to camp and confess. Yep. Oh, no. 
Yep. I yep. didn't sign up yep. for that. Yeah, you did. Sorry. Oh, just, it's just part of what it is like to be in this cult. <laughs> so you can That's still send case. us your occult confessions. You can either email it to the occult confessions email. Occultconfessions at gmail.com. Thank you. Uh, or you could just simply, you could DM us on Instagram, occult confessions, or you could DM me on Instagram. Either way. Or Twitter. Or Twitter. Yeah, we got to get that Twitter going. Uh, I also want to mention that uh, Savannah, while we got her sitting here, is uh, about to take over the YouTube for us in January, and she's going to be doing uh, some some new stuff. She's going to be taking a lot of our old episodes and, and creating uh, slideshows and something. Some kind of fun thing. I'm coming up with. I'm like trying to be a little bit more creative than just slideshows. All but right. Yeah. We're trying so to. At we're least. gonna. We're gonna say we don't. Uh, surprise mystery. Yeah. <laughs> be sure to come in and smash that MF like button, guys. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, so so that'll be that. Is, it's gonna start in January. So uh, check us out on on YouTube. But it'll be more or less what we're doing here. But yeah. But, but with some visuals. So if you'd like to, I don't know, re-listen to something. Does that know. mean I get a new name that has like YouTube involved in no, it? We'll think about it. Yeah, that's possible. Maybe Mechanical Birds. I've moved on from We've Reagan. retitled John John Cook, so maybe it's possible. You, you might be up for a new title. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> Speaking of titles that have to do with social media platforms, our Instaquisitor, Shannon Landers, uh, would like to, to mention some things that are happening over on the Instawebs. Yeah. Yeah, so I like to do a special shout out for a couple people. Um, Ruby Moon sister has been sharing us on her story, and someone else messaged us saying that they saw her story and now that she loved the podcast. Oh, very cool. Nice. Yeah. Um, we also have Pugsley Cooper Nine and Ron Cook. They've both been doing the same thing. We really appreciate you guys going. Yes. Going on helping us out. We can only grow if folks are uh, letting other folks know about your experience with us. We we don't have fancy ads or uh, you know you know billboards or you know <laughs> no billboards. It's just nothing nice on the side of a bus or anything. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you got one more thing there. Oh, uh, chat Holly. Chat Holly. Yeah. So we a couple of episodes episodes ago. We plugged Sean, I believe his name was. He had a band, and oh, I asked the you. Band who's listening I, to us on yes, the road. I said, <laughs> "What's the, the band band's band. name?" What? Yeah, and he actually found me on Instagram and DM'd me and let me know that his band name, who actually follows us on Instagram, uh, is Chat Holly. Chat Holly. And I really hope I'm saying Chat that right. Chat. H O L L U I. Chat Holly. I'm pretty Ooh. sure. If it's wrong. Sean, just DM me and tell me. Check but, us out. Uh, <laughs> check them out. Check them out. Find the Chat Holly and uh, take a listen to some of the stuff they're up to. Yeah. Florida band. Occult fans. <laughs> let's close up that order of confessors and let's go home, Olivia. I hereby adjourn and declare close this meeting of the secret order of alchemical actors till such a time as we get together and do it again. We want to thank Faith Barry, also Brandon Walls and Nathan Bobitka for being our voice actors today, playing Mother Anne Lee and friends, also our communist man of the commune and the inquirer. Uh, joining me around the table today, we had Savannah Verrett, sister of the 84th degree. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Shannon Landers, our Instaquisitor. Bye, friends. Olivia Literal Grandmaster. Just love each other, guys. And me, my name is Rob Thompson. Join us next time as we delve into the world of the techno cult. With Nikola Tesla's death ray. That's right. Dun, dun, dun.
It's time for Tesla. We're going to explore the occult dimensions of electricity and how Nikola Tesla attempted to end warfare as we know it with an, a particle part, a particle beam, a fancy thing science. that did science stuff. Science. Did you get mixed up with a Superman comic or something? No, it's, it's a particle beam something, but I can't remember science. exactly what it is offhand. It's a science Ooh. thing. Here on Occult Confessions. Thanks for joining us, friends. We'll catch you next time. Goodbye.